So today I thought I'd talk about one of the processes that our mind engages in. A very natural process that's just part of the natural functioning of our minds. And that's the process of perception. And, uh, and how this process can get conflated, confused with other processes that get us into trouble. <laughs> so perception is one of these, when I talked about the body and mind processes the other day, I mentioned five basic processes, the process of the body, the process of, uh, which is the bodily uh, bodily experience, the process of feeling, recognizing whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, the process of perceiving, of recognizing, and this is one of this is the process I'm going to talk about today. The process of um, intending, creating, forming, uh, and the process of knowing, consciousness. So these five processes the Buddha uh, actually highlighted as being um, places where we tend to get identified. The process of selfing, creation of a sense of self, tends to congeal around these five areas. And so they're particularly helpful to understand how they work and to begin to explore and see how does this selfing happen around around these five processes. So today I'd like to explore perception. For me this process, exploring this process has been very, both very interesting and a very informative exploration. So this process is the very natural process uh, related to recognizing things. And we start to do this as babies. We, um, and probably one of the first things we recognize is this blob that is mom. <laughs> you know, this, this, this blob of form and color, this blob that has the smell, this blob that has milk, you know, this is mom. You know, so this, uh, this, this process of of recognition when we get exposed to something uh, repeatedly, the mind begins to classify, recognize, conceptualize, uh, perceive. It begins to create this, this uh, almost like a shortcut. I look at it as like a shortcut um, so that we don't have to go through all the work of figuring out every single time we come into contact with this particular blob that has this particular smell. You know, we don't have to go through the work of figuring out. It happens like that, just really fast. And this is very useful. It's a very useful process in our, in our minds. So we have a... a Stimulus from our senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Also uh, stimulus from our minds. And at each of these sense doors, we, um, we recognize what that object is. Or our mind um, 
attempts to recognize what that object is. And largely by the time we've hit this, um, you know, this, this uh, period of our lives, we recognize many of the objects we come into contact to. We've been, we've been in contact with so many objects. You know, we walk into the room and we recognize men and women and floors and chairs and zabutans all effortlessly. So this is a natural function of the mind. Now, as I understand it, this perceptual process is kind of a layered process, that there are many levels of perception. And in fact, kind of perceptions are kind of built on top of perceptions. Um, So for example, one level of perception in the realm of sight is the uh, perception of form and color. So we uh, see these brown square forms on the floor. That's, that's one level of perception that we recognize them as brown, we recognize them as square. And kind of built on top of that is um, the perception of you know, what we interpret that to be or what we take that to be. It's like, that's the Zabutan. Maybe IRC Zabutans because they have a particular thickness and color that we recognize. So this process itself, and we can begin to see this process. We can begin to uh, see this process at work as our mindfulness settles down, as our, as, our, as our minds settle down and our mindfulness gets more continuous, we can actually see this, this process happening, the way the mind recognizes things. So, for example, I, I've talked about, for me, actually, exploring this process in the realm of hearing is one of the easiest places to see how it works or that it's happening. Hearing, hearing a sound, and then the mind will perhaps say the word of what it recognizes that sound to be. And the sound of the air blowing. The mind, you know, it just went off, but you know, when it comes back on, the mind may just go, oh, air conditioning. Or it might create an image, uh, hearing the sound of a car going down the road. It might create an image of a car. So we can see this happening this, uh, and, and recognize it as a function of mind. Sometimes when people start to see this happening, um, they, uh, they interpret it or, or think, well, you know, I'm noting. I'm noting my experience. How can I stop this noting? You know, I... I uh, I hear a car and my mind goes car. And how can I stop that from happening? And what I often ask at that point, is that something you're doing? <laughs> Are you consciously you know, bringing that word into your mind? Or is it just happening? And much of the time it's just happening. Now there are times when we consciously bring in a recognition you know, we use the noting practice, we, we bring our attention to our experience and we use the naming in our minds to recognize pressure, vibration, tingling, hearing, thought, that we use that, uh, that 
conscious uh, process, that conscious thought to recognize what's happening. But this process of perception happens more automatically. And it's not something we can stop. So just, just perhaps recognizing... Um, that you can be aware of this as a process. So this process of perception can get us into trouble when we don't understand how it works. We easily misunderstand and get caught in the process of perception. The, uh, the Buddha, for each of these five processes that I mentioned, offered an analogy for each of these five processes that he said, you know, these, these processes are really helpful to explore because we tend to create self around them. Um, he, he offered an analogy for each of these five processes. And for perception, he said, perception is like a mirage, And a mirage, I actually looked up mirages. Uh, I thought it was, I mean, the kind of the, the, the way it's used, uh, the word mirage is used in, um, in uh, kind of everyday language is that um, you're seeing something that's not there, that you're, it's an illusion, something like that, that it's, it's, it's a, a fabrication, um, something made up. But the actual phenomenon of mirage is that um, the mirage is a reflection of some object that's actually there. It's the, 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 the way that the layers of heat and cool air are refracting the light. You know, the, the, the classic mirage of the um, uh, water in the desert is actually that the light rays have been bent and you're seeing the sky reflected on the ground. So it's a reflection of an actual object. It's just not an accurate reflection of it. So a mirage is that is the um, that there's an actual... Uh, something's there, but it's not being accurately uh, reflected. So I think this analogy, this analogy points to the way that perception can deceive us. Because perception is a process in our minds by which we recognize experience and the deceiving process, the deceiving, the delusion, that kind of delusion comes into play here in that we believe our perceptions to be accurate representations of reality. In fact, not only accurate representations of reality, we take them to be reality. We take our perceptions to be reality. And so beginning to see this process of perception helps to undermine that deluding nature. Beginning to recognize that when a bird sings, we see an image of a bird in our minds. 
you know that 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 we see that that's a uh, a construction of the mind and may not well does not accurately represent what's there what's actually there so to me this is this is a, an important piece um you know i i actually happen to believe there's things out in the world you know there's <laughs> there's stuff out there that we are uh experiencing and contacting and uh, and that our minds are um receiving something perceiving something and there are um uh some schools that kind of believe the entire world is 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 mind i i think there's something out there but i've become very um appreciative of the fact that how my mind uh relates to what's out there is there's, there's kind of a step a step apart there's there's no way i can possibly really know what's actually out there all that i can know is what my mind is representing so essentially everything that we are experiencing is coming th- through our mind mediated through our minds so another aspect of this process of perception um, it very quickly you know, because perception is so close to thought in fact could be seen as a rudimentary form of thought it very quickly leads to thinking so this is another place i think i mentioned this yesterday that we can begin to see if we don't recognize perception happening if we don't see that process going on in our minds that's a doorway through which we'll get lost in thought we i think i used this example the other day we you know sitting here and there's a sound arising sound and the mind recognizes it as motorcycle and then create you know creates an image of a motorcycle and then our mind kind of leaps onto that motorcycle and then is riding down the road on its way to santa cruz our minds do that and sometimes that happens because we haven't seen that initial perception we haven't seen that original thought arise in the mind of motorcycle so this is another way this is a helpful process to get familiar with we can recognize perception arising in our mind and just know it oh perception's happening and then not go out that door to get lost in thought we also respond to our perceptions we think we're responding to the world we think we're responding to reality but what we're actually responding to is our perceptions of reality so this can be highlighted we can uh see clearly that what we are responding to is our perceptions rather than reality uh when our perceptions make a mistake it's easier to see perhaps when our perception makes a mistake that these responses are based on the perception rather than what's actually there so kind of the classic example of this is 
walking perhaps into a dim room and uh, seeing a coiled form in the corner and perceiving it as snake. Fear arises, perhaps, as a response to that uh, perception. And then a few moments later, you know, we recognize, oh, it's a rope. It's not a snake. And so we can see in that um, situation that the emotion, that the response was a result of our perception, not a result of the actual thing. So we're not really responding to what's out there. We're responding to our mind's reflection of what's out there. The teachings, the texts, the suttas connect this process of perception with another process that's particularly uh, closely associated with the deceiving nature of the deluding nature, deluding influence. Um, That influence is the influence of papancha, the term, Pali term papancha. The texts don't give a very clear definition of what papancha means, but they do pretty clearly describe how it comes up and what kind of trouble it gets us into. The main trouble that they associate with it is conflict, that uh, papancha leads to conflict. I'd like to share with you, some of you are very familiar with this passage, it's a very famous passage, um, a description of how papancha comes to be. And then explore this, uh, this term with you a little bit. Because I think it is intimately connected with how we get confused about our perceptions and how our perceptions um, begin to... Uh, get more distinct, more divorced from what's actually out there. So the uh, the text gives a very clear description about how this papancha arises. I'll re- read some of this to you. The, um, the text here looks at the various sense spaces that we have, so sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and... Uh, contacting experience through the mind, and then looks at how we experience that, how our senses experience that. We take in the the sense information and feel it and perceive it. And um, for every sense, it looks at this from from all of the six sense bases. I'm going to read you the one related to sight. And then we can extrapolate from that to all of the six senses. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. So there's, this is where, you know, there's stuff out there. There's the eye, the organ of the eye, and that uh, creates the condition for eye consciousness. The 
the, the knowing faculty to arise with the I. The meeting of those three, the I forms and I consciousness, is contact. Contact with the sense base. There's sight. So the meeting of the I in forms and I consciousness, that's the contact sight. Essentially that's the the I the object the the uh, uh, kind of the ex- experience of sight. With contact as condition, there is feeling. So feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So we have sight that happens and we, uh, we experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral a feeling about it. What one feels, that one perceives. So this, uh, this, this is implying perhaps a, uh, that the feeling leads to perception. That that essentially the the feeling that we've experienced, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, when we have a feeling, then perception that that's when the perceptual process begins to happen. I also understand it in various other places. It talks about that perception and feeling arise together. You can't really pull them apart. There's one text that says, you know, consciousness, feeling, perception, those three just arise together. And that you can't really pick them apart and say, um, you can't pull one apart and say that's feeling without actually referring to perceiving and knowing. You can't say that's perceiving without referring to feeling and knowing. So these three, perceiving, feeling, and knowing, are are, uh, in other places said to come uh, together. So we have the I, the forms, the eye consciousness, the meaning of the three is contact. With contact we feel, with feeling we perceive. So there's been some form and we see it and the mind perceives it, recognizes it. Hummingbird, flower, person, food. What one perceives, that one thinks about. So this is the leap that we often make from perceiving to thinking. That's a a conditioned phenomenon. When we perceive something, we tend to think about it. What one thinks about, that one papanches. I'm going to leave it untranslated at the moment. What one thinks about, that one papanches. different ways of interpreting this papancha one uh, one scholar says that um, the the term itself the term itself um, um, means spreading out that the term papancha means spreading out and so he he theorizes that it means kind of the mind just spreading out into a riot of thought and this is, I think, one of the most common ways that we've been exploring this term in the last, say, 10 or 15 years in our tradition. And the papancha means kind of 
the, the translation is often mental proliferation. You know, the mind just kind of running off into a riot of thought. So, you know, a simple example, this kind of thing does happen. Um, you know, you, you go out into uh, the yard and you're working in the garden and um, you come back in a little later and you get a bite somewhere on your body and, you know, there's the itching. And so initially there's the the recognition of the feeling, the unpleasant feeling, then there's the recognition of mosquito bite. Then there's the, or, or bite, let's just say bite. There's a recognition of, of bite. You, see, you may see a raised welt and, and perceive it as bite. And then the mind may start thinking about it. You know, oh, well, I was out in the garden. Maybe this is a mosquito bite. Um, you know, so the mind just rumin- thinks a little bit about it. Um, but then perhaps you recognize that this bite is like buried under three layers of clothes. And it's like wait a minute, how could it be a mosquito bite? When did I get this bite anyway? I don't think I noticed it earlier, but gosh, I wonder if I got it in the middle of the night. I've had bed bugs before. Maybe it's a bed bug bite. <laughs> oh no, I know what bed bugs means. I've got to, I've got to start taking care of this. And, and then the mind kind of goes from just a kind of normal thinking to... This kind of, it, it comes with this, this riot of spreading, comes with kind of this identification of this is a problem for me or this is something I really need to do. So the, I think this, this papancha comes with this, uh, the thinking can kind of happen without too much identification. You know, the mind will think. It's when it moves into the realm of identification that this papancha starts to um, take hold. So that kind of uh, identification often comes with a lot of thought. So this term, mental proliferation. So let's continue with what this, this text says. So the, the mental proliferation, we, we, what we think about, we tend to proliferate about. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, this, this sentence is a little confusing, so I'll read it through and then try to unpack it a little bit. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable by the eye. So my understanding of that is that based on our mind's tendency to uh, kind of run amok that you know, we could think about this as the filter creation uh, process. Those papancha is the filter creation process. And then that filter, that papancha having created uh, some concept, idea, belief in the mind, then going forward, our perceptions our eye, form, eye consciousness, are influenced by that mind that has run riot. So this I I understand to be really part of the the delusional aspect. 
where where papancha really fits into um, diluting us. These uh, these filters, or um, you know that that notion of that's a bed bug bite. You know, any I've had this experience. I speak from experience. Any little twinge on my body is that a bed bug bite? <laughs> is that a bite? Oh no! Oh, it's just a dry patch of skin. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, that that the the filter of I've got bed bugs in my house um, creates a way that I receive experience. It it filters how I receive experience. This is uh, a lot of how our minds work. We do this a lot. So another possible way of thinking about this term, papancha, you know, it's looking at it as the the process of mind that is related to, uh, you know, the the kind of ideas run amok, connected to self getting involved. Tan Jeff look, has looked at this word extensively, and I like some of his work, his research about this word, and he says that in Indian art, this term papancha referred to the elaboration of a theme in artwork and the process of embodying that theme in particular objects like notes in a musical score or particular colors perhaps on a a visual um, uh, a painting or perhaps specific objects, specific images a repeating theme of specific images and so, um, you know, he, he's looking at it as kind of the, the objectification, the process of objectifying. The other thing I'm interested in about this word is that there are places in the, in the texts where the Buddha talks about the absence of papancha as essentially being very closely linked with freedom. And so to me, that indicates something really important. You know, it's not just the mind thinking a lot. I mean, we can move into the mind not thinking so much when we're in concentration. But that's not what he's he's pointing to. My understanding, he's he's pointing to something a little bit more fundamental, or a more fundamental process. So I, um, in thinking about this, looking at know, this term papancha and how it's used. And one of the things that it's clearly connected to is, is contention, creation of quarrels, creation of conflict. So I, um, in thinking about this, I, I remembered this st- the story of the blind man and the elephant, which is a story in the suttas, and in fact is used to describe how quarrels arise. I thought, okay, let's look at that and see what's the key piece there where, where the quarrels arise from. So that story, just to remind you, um, uh, the, a king in a kingdom is interested in um, uh, having some amusement. And he um, uh, asks his, one of his stewards to bring an elephant and to gather the blind people of the village together and to show them the elephant by having them touch various parts of the elephant. 
So some touch the legs, some touch the side of the, the elephant, some touch the tail, some touch the ear, some touch the tusk, some touch the trunk. And after each one has been shown this, a part of the elephant, the king asks them, so tell me, what is an elephant? And one will say, the one who touched the side of the elephant would say something, well, it's like a storeroom. And the one who touched the tail would say, well, it's like a broom. The one who touched the uh, legs would say, it's like a post. And hearing all of their various uh, descriptions of what an elephant is, the story is that they came to blows. An elephant is like this. An elephant's not like that. An elephant is like this. An elephant's not like that. So there... The conflict comes because of believing the perception. Believing and, and reifying it, creating an object out of it, creating a, a, an idea out of it and believing it. So that whole aspect of the creation of ideas, believing the ideas, this is really where... Uh, this is the deluding nature of, of, of perception, or the way perception is easily deluded, delude, uh, caught by delusion, that we believe our perceptions to be reality. So the uh, one word that um, I particularly like, it's, it's a kind of an obscure word, uh, the first time I heard it, I thought, what does that word mean? And then I went and looked it up, and it's like, yeah, that's a great word for this process. And the word is reification. And the uh, the definition of that word is to uh, create a um, thing out of something that's not a thing. Uh, the, it's, it's associated, reification is said to be associated with a fallacy of misplaced concreteness. That there's the, the, the reification is associated with this confusion of what has been collected, congealed, into being something that it is not. This happens in our minds all the time. And this is actually what I think this papancha refers to. This process of congealing, reifying, creating a thing out of a process flow of experience. In one text, the um, the Buddha says that the root cause of papancha is the thought "I am," and to me, this also brings up the the uh, the notion or the recognition that when we create something, inherently, it's creating like self and other almost inherently in the creation of a thing we create a self to that that there's you can't really t- tease these two apart that in the reification of an object there's the 
creation of self. One, uh, one scholar describes this process of distorted perception. He says, This process of distorted perception, of placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, our conditioning, robs the freshness out of our experience. That's a beautiful description of what our minds do. Placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, and our conditioning. And he goes on, he says, but we're not aware of this constant interference of the past. Because of this unawareness, which is our ignorance and our delusion, we see humanity fragmented as me and others, us and them, and in various other stereotypes, skin color, ethnicity, language, ideology included. He's pointing to this as, again, the root source of conflict, self-other, the root source of conflict, that creation. So clearly this is an important uh, thing to recognize happening in our minds. It's very deeply embedded into how our minds um, work, how our minds function. But it is not something that can't be seen and known and seen through. It's not so much, I think, um, uh, at least in my own exploration of it, I mean, I don't know what the Buddha would say exploring this, but in my own exploration of it, it's, it's not that, um, that it stops happening well, there are times when it feels like the process of selfing stops happening, but it becomes much more clearly recognized as a process so that it doesn't have the capacity to delude us so much. So through exploring perception in particular, I think, we really gain an appreciation that just how fully our, what we are experiencing is created by our minds. That we are experiencing a reflection. That's what we are experiencing, a, a reflection in the mind. There's a an exhibit I saw. Um, I think I think too that I mean this 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 notion of papancha being the process by which objects are created, formed, become solid, concrete. Um, there was an exhibit I saw at the Exploratorium that really helped me to see uh, how perception contributes to this there was a I walked I went to the the exploratorium with my nephew who at the time was 
10. <laughs> so we were, you know, wandering around the exploratorium and I walked into the exploratorium and I saw, you know, kind of walking in from a distance, uh, I saw I saw these um, bars hanging from the ceiling and there were flashing lights on the bars. And I kind of looked up and thought, oh, I wonder what that is. And I thought, I'll have to check that out later. And we were wandering around through the exploratorium, and every now and then I'd look up at those bars and think, oh, I haven't, I haven't found the, the information about that yet. You know, we, i got, I got to look for that. And we were um, sitting having a drink. My nephew and I were sitting having a drink, uh, resting. And, it's, and, he's, uh, and he's, um, he said kind of spontaneously out loud, he said, it's a school bus! And I looked at him, and I saw him looking up at the flashing lights. And what I saw when I looked up at the flashing lights were some yellow flashing lights. And, and to, to tell you what this would look like, is there were like, there were like four, the, the four foot long bars hanging from the ceiling. They were probably, you know, a couple inches around in diameter. These bars were hanging from the ceiling. And there was, I think, at least three feet, if not more, three or four feet between these bars. There were maybe ten or so bars hanging. In the uh, from the ceiling, and I looked up at that place where he was looking, claiming to see a school bus, and I saw yellow flashing lights on the individual bars, and then a little bit of red. <laughs> and I said, "Well, it's flashing lights, the color of a school bus, but I don't see a school bus." Bus, and then he said, "It's butterflies." And I said, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> And and then we had something. We had an appointment at the at the tactile dome. So I said, you know, we went off to the tactile dome, and then we came out of the tactile dome. And I said, okay, I'm I've got. What is this? You know. So I stood there and looked at this flashing lights, and what it seemed to take was that the mind, the the eyes needed to track just right, like kind of scan over the bars at just the right speed. And I kind of must have done this accidentally. Um that, um, you know, at some point in having the eyes just scanning over these bars, it was quite amazing. It was like this full two-dimensional screen that was like four feet long by 40 feet wide appeared, upon which was driving a school bus. (laughs) It was so clear... I could read the name of the school district on the, sc- on the school bus. And my understanding of what is happening, I mean, it's um, that the, the, um, uh, the mind is, or the eye and the, the mind are tracking, like what was happening is as if, is, it was as if the, like the school bus was driving behind a fence and there were like little slits of, uh, what was seen there, and so it was like it was it was projecting just the Im- immediate like momentary image of what would appear in that spot as the school bus would be driving by, and as the eye just kind of whew, carried along, it was like it it somehow managed to um, like project into the air the previous images and create this illusion of the screen. And there were many images, you know, there, there, were, there, were, um, there were the butterflies. And, <laughs> and what was kind of really amazing was that the butterflies were, 
At first, the butterflies were only going one way, like the school bus, you know. It's kind of like I thought, okay, you know, it's like this is the way I have to track across it to, to get this illusion to happen. But then, but then I could see that, that there was one time when the butterflies were going both directions, and I could see that as well. So the mind could actually track multiple directions. It was quite an impressive uh, uh, perceptual phenomenon. You know, this, this actually is what our eyes take in. What our senses take in is momentary blips of information. And, you know, I think the perceptual process itself is designed to put that information together into something that has, seems to have a little bit more stability you know, the, as we meditate, we begin to see just how little stability there is in experience. And this does begin to undermine our uh, belief in this concreteness. So, you know, perception and this process of papancha work together. It's like perception. You can begin to see how perception puts things together. And then uh, this process of mind that takes that and says, that's a thing. Now, for that moment, the mind believed like the screen was there. It created that illusion. And the mind, you know, believed it, even though it knew that it wasn't there. So perception and papancha, these two processes, I think, work together to fool us into believing that we're experiencing something that's out there rather than experiencing something that's happening in our minds. So this also relates to suffering. That, um, you know, suffering created by caused by craving, we cling to things, hold on to things, we, we uh, um, want things that we like to stay, we want things that we don't like to go away. And that whole process of clinging kind of is all confused itself, believing there's something to cling to. You know, we... The craving itself, the craving, the clinging, or processes created in our minds—that's that's enough of a of a of a interest in watching our minds and trying to understand that process of craving. But what we are clinging to is also just a construction of our minds. It doesn't actually exist anywhere. What we are, when we actually see how the process of clinging works. We see we're clinging to our perceptions. We're clinging to our ideas. Ideas are nothing more than a, a, a fleeting reality. So when the mind witnesses its own role, not only in the process of creating the craving, but in the process of creating what it's craving, you know, we not only create the craving in our minds, but we create what we cling to. When it sees that, that process, it begins to understand its own role in the suffering that results and begins to let go 
of the the delusion around those processes. Now, perception doesn't stop. But it is known, it can be known for what it is. It's just a process. So just to bring this back to simplicity, and this is a fairly um, complex process, these processes that work in our minds. But the processes are doing their own thing. You know, thank goodness we don't have to do them. We'd never be able to. The process of witnessing is still pretty simple. So just observe. Simple observing can begin to reveal these processes at work in our minds. The process of creation of ideas, a creation of self-other. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, the observing itself, the, the mindfulness itself is just like a reflection. It just, it just, it just reflects what's happening. And that reflecting can be pretty simple. The reflecting itself is simple. What it reflects may be pretty complicated. But what we have to engage in is still really simple. So, moment to moment, meeting our experience and seeing what's revealed. As we bring right view, as we bring the perspective of right view, the uh, witnessing begins to help the mind understand how to let go of the things that cause its suffering. So let's just sit in silence together. And um, right now it's about 10 of 5. So uh, those of you who need to move out to the kitchen can do so in your own time. I'm not going to ring a bell again. Just uh, sit, letting the words settle. Noticing how the mind and body are right now. You've been listening, so that listening has an impact on your mind and body, just taking in. How is that in this moment? It's just mind. It's just mind. Mind. 